to Macintosh and Mud. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Speed. A young police officer must prevent a bomb from exploding aboard a city bus by keeping its speed above 50 miles per hour. How? How have you not seen this, David? Because I didn't. It's a crime. It was rated R. It's still a crime. Like, it's only an R because of the amount of times they see the F word. They do say the F word a lot. <laughs> but to great effect. Like, it's not It's not just excessive. This is a prime example of a movie thriving in spite of itself. Yes. <laughs> because none of the individual parts that make up this movie should alone actually work as a movie. No. <laughs> The premise is dumb. The premise is not the dumb part to me. Like, I don't hate that. I mean, okay, like, it's fine. But the individual pieces are very dumb. But everyone involved in the movie clearly is like, we can make this work. We can do this. And it's also, I have to say, the dialogue is is performed in such a way that it really cuts tension in a fabulous way. It is the prime example of a dumb action movie knowing it's dumb and then leaning into it as much as it needs to. Mm -hmm. We we talk about this with certain other shows we talk about where when you lean into that weirdness and acknowledge it, it allows you to do wackier and wackier scenarios because then you can play with the trope of these are ordinary people in a very extraordinary situation. Yes, but also all of the quote unquote like supporting characters are very well fleshed out. You know, I I guess what it is is that on paper it's a very by the book action movie. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason on screen, it comes together as better. Okay. I don't know whether I think that that makes it amazing or just makes it impressive that it just beat out a very mediocre set up mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm not sure how to feel about it that way mm. the budget for this movie was 30 million dollars okay and that's a significant chunk of change but you'll find out why as we get into the trivia about how they made this fucking movie. for all the shit they broke so much shit so much shit and so many buses but Globally, it grossed $350 million. That's why they got to do a sequel. We we won't. That doesn't exist. I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. It's not like I haven't seen it on late night cable somewhere. Yeah, you had seen that, but not this. Yes, I saw Speed 2 Cruise Control. You know why? Because it was PG-13. I have never seen Cruise Control. Do not. There is one amazingly cool scene when a cruise liner runs aground and you can watch that on YouTube and then be perfectly happy because it is terrible. I look forward to this. (laughs) This sounds fun to me. Jason Patrick cannot hold a candle to a certain other movie star that is in this film. Mm. So they originally slated this for a late summer release to compete against True Lies. Oh, okay. Uh, because they had concerns about it underperforming. Mm-hmm. Now, it's in it's from the same studio distribution as True Lies. Okay. So what they were thinking was, well, it'll be a nice compliment and we'll make a little bit of money off of this. However, 
when they were doing early screenings, they figured out they had a hit because audiences were walking backwards out of the theater to not miss anything while they went to the restroom. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. That's a good indicator. So instead, they moved it up to June and had it go against the Flintstones for the start of summer. And it was the first action movie of the summer season. So it raked in a ton of money. Despite all of that, the film literally ran out of money before being completed. Oh, no. When they first previewed it for audiences, the entire subway sequence had not been filmed. It was only storyboarded. Oh, wow. Okay. Because it costs so much fucking money to make this movie. Sure. (laughs) Again, movie thriving in spite of itself. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) All right. Let's get into our writing. Mm Mm-hmm. A writer is a man named Graham Yost. Okay. Now you, I think when I when I tell you some of these credits, you're going to remember that you've seen his name before. Okay. But it's going to be weird. Before this, his biggest claim to fame was writing Hey Dude for television. Hey Dude, that's the Dude Ranch show on yes. Nickelodeon? Yes. I fucking love that show. <laughs> After this... He wrote Broken Arrow, Hard Rain, From the Earth to the Moon, Mission to Mars, Band of Brothers, and then created Boomtown on Television, Justified, and Sneaky Pete. Okay. He has since pivoted full into TV. Hey, we're in the golden age of television for sure. And has created what many consider as three under-the-radar great shows on TV. Mm -hmm. So he's done quite well for himself. Interesting. Okay. There is an uncredited writer. Mm. A then mostly unknown script doctor named Joss Whedon. Mm. He did a lot of this type of work in the 90s. Yes, he did. This was his this was his bread and butter back then. Oh yeah, he wrote Toy Story. Yes, he, he essentially did. wrote what we saw as Toy Story. According to Graham Yost, Whedon wrote most of the dialogue whereas Yost's script was solely focused on the action. I mean, that's a good partnership. I mean, Joss Whedon is a garbage human. We've determined that. But he is very witty. His his dialogue is fabulous. And he also does really well with large groups of people. God, I wonder what it would have been like if we just never let him have a director's chair. He is a good writer, first and foremost. That is his best. That is his best talent. Yeah. He just stayed in his lane and kept his head down. Don't let him be in charge of people. No. Period. No. That's why the dialogue in this movie works as well as it does. It's, I mean, I'm sorry, but fuck me. Oh, darn. Passenger relay. Sir, take this. I want you to tell him what I see. Okay. We got a wad. Pretty big. There's a pretty big wad. Brass fittings? Brass fittings. I think I can reach the circuit wire. He can reach the circuit wire. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't. That's a, that's a decoy. Classic. That's your classic decoy. What else? What else? Hold on. Hold on. Fuck me. Oh, darn. (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, like, both... The lines are great on the page, and then the delivery between Keanu and Alan Rock is just perfection. It's just, that's my favorite in the whole movie. To make a premise this boiled down work, 
you have to have really strong characters. Okay. And you have to have really strong characters in a very short amount of time because you don't have a lot of fat here. This movie has a ton of action. It does. And so you've got to figure out how to build characters that are believable and you can invest yourself in them within a very quick amount of time. Okay. That's got to be Joss Whedon. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not to say... Grammio's contribution, the structure and action of this movie works really well. It just would be a really boring movie if we didn't have characters that were fun on top of it. Well, and I, I, that's a great partnership because the action, like the sequence of events works great. At no point is this movie just boring. We get into the action very quickly. We start with an action and then we're like, oh, okay. And then we have the appropriate amount of buildup to the bus oh now we're on the bus we're on the bus oh we've identified the bus the bus is in trouble the people on on the bus know there's a problem and then we just continually add issues to the bus problem and there's a logic to each step of the process sure and then how one solution creates a different problem fine like it all works it works logistically they and then We've got characters talking about these problems. And there are people who are clearly not doing well in a crisis, which is fair. And then you have people who, some of them, their job is to be good in a crisis. And some of them do better than others. This is also normal and good. Like you've got good, different human experiences happening within all of these different groups, which is, again, makes it very compelling to watch people would not turn away from the screen because shit kept popping up to escalate the stakes. But but then again, it all pays off. I already saw the airport. <laughs> like the guy, who t- he, he tells this joking, annoying story. It took me three hours to leave the airport. Where does he end up back at the airport? At LAX, yeah. It's great. It's it's all a thing. And, and oh, the writing's good. The writing's sneakily good. Uh, Joss Whedon was brought on based on the strength of a spec script he wrote in 1993 called Suspension. Much like Speed was considered Die Hard on a bus, Suspension was considered Die Hard on the George Washington Bridge. Interesting. The story went that a newly released ex-con martial artist got trapped on the George Washington Bridge with hundreds of terrorists led by a mercenary threatening to blow it up unless a ransom is paid and an ex-con and female police officer are the only two that can help him stop all of this. He had tried to get suspension made a few different times. It sort of started development, but it never really got through pre-production there, and eventually Mm -hmm. he abandoned it. But (laughs) they read that script and were like, well, we're doing something equally as crazy. Come on, come on over. You understand the flavor we're going for. Let's go. (laughs) That's fair. Yost originally pitched the film to Paramount, okay. who turned it down, suggesting that the script, ending after everyone gets off the bus, had, quote, too much bus. Too much bus. So that's when Yost added the subway scenes for the end of the film and then sent it to Fox, who then agreed to take on the script. Now, he is never mentioned as being a part of this, but knowing that this was possibly a Paramount feature... You have to believe Tom Cruise would have been considered for this movie then. Oh, sure. If this went to Paramount, 1994, Tom Cruise, right before Mission Impossible, this would have been Mission Impossible 
which we'll talk about in a minute. Oh, God. And finally, Yost had the bomb originally armed after the bus went 20 miles per hour instead of 50, which, how the hell is it speed then, my dude? Mm -hmm. Thank God. 50 was the only way you could do it because then you have to be going at or above the speed limit. Yeah. Like, that's the only way to make this compelling. If you're going 20, fuck that. Sure. Well, then, and also, you have the whole bit, like, okay, you're on the highway, but, like, we, LA traffic doesn't mean shit. But I like that the whole, like, the the sticking point is once it hits 50, it turns on. And then if it drops below, that's when it goes off. So, yeah, you could stay on the highway, but as we can see, that's not a guarantee. It's great. Like, it's great. Like, the problems make sense. And it doesn't take a whole lot of exposition for our villain to set that up for our heroes. No, it's very quick and easy, and I love it. Like, that's what makes it great. But let's talk about the madness that truly envelops this whole film. Mm. And that is an incredibly mad Dutchman named Jan de Bont, who is our director. Okay. Jan de Bont is not known as a director. This is his directing debut. Mm, okay. Before this, he was a cinematographer. Oh, cool, yeah. And let me tell you what he cinematographied. Okay. Roar, Cujo, All the Right Moves, Flesh and Blood, The Jewel of the Nile, The Clan of the Cave Bear, Ruthless People, Die Hard, Black Rain, The Hunt for Red October, Flatliners, Mm -hmm. Basic Instinct, and Lethal Weapon 3, just to name a few. Yeah, okay, Jewel of the Nile, fucking amazing movie. But he did the cinematography for Die Hard. He knew exactly what he needed. Cinematographers can make great directors. They really can. He knew exactly what he wanted on screen. And he got it done. For this movie. Yes. Because after this, <laughs> he directed Twister. I've not seen that. Speed 2 Cruise Control. Apparently that's abysmal. The Haunting. Well, I've heard good things about that. And Lara Croft Tomb Raider, colon, The Cradle of Life. Is that the one we saw? That was the Angelina Jolie sequel. Okay, no, I didn't see that. So I didn't make it big <laughs> after that point. <laughs> he continued to do cinematography. No. He's just done. <laughs> He's a, he went to straight to movie jail. I'm going to be real honest with you. Or or he made enough money. He said, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> also valid. This is by far the jewel in the crown of his work. I mean, like, again, I love Twister, but Twister is a terrible movie. And it's because the script's not as good as this. Mm-hmm. He lucked out with an incredible script which allowed him to put all the crazy shit he ever wanted to do in a movie. Well, this is where he had a script that he knew exactly how it needed to be shot. And then he had a cast who knew exactly what they needed to do in their scenes. So I'm guessing he did not have to do a lot of actor coaching, which is something that cinematographers don't always have, which could be a part of why his other films didn't do as well. Because if you don't have that marriage of, Actors who know what they need to do for the page, the page being great, and then a director who knows exactly what they want to shoot, you could be in trouble. Yeah. This is just a perfect mix of things to work well. I mean, I will tell y'all now, at some point we're doing Twister, because holy shit, the fact that you haven't seen Twister yet, and there's so many one-liners. Okay, but like, I was terrified of tornadoes during when that film came out, so that was not going to happen. Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, 
Alan Rook. I, I mean, Alan Rook. Philip Seymour Hoffman. I love him. The, all the best people are in them. Carrie Elwes. It's got a great cast. I mean, I do forgive him for Saw. In any case, he has the perfect situation so that he can focus on making the biggest action movie ever made up to that point. Because that's what he's fucking doing here. Yeah. Like, clearly he came in and he told Fox, I want to make the biggest, boldest, craziest fucking action movie you've ever fucking seen. <laughs> that's what that's what got him this job. Because he did. I'm okay with all of that. I mean, and some of this feels a little old hat. But again, because of the techniques he used mm -hmm. and the way he shot this movie, it feels a whole lot more high stakes and real mm -hmm. than I would even say some shit like Marvel movies that we watch now, which is not to say that Marvel movies are bad action wise, but you don't get the same kind of stakes because there aren't a lot of practical effects. And the practical effects used for this thing make everything 10 times more real. <laughs> well, I think that's true of all movies. It's not just Marvel. You can always feel, you can always feel when the effects are practical. There, there's some sort of magic that somehow gets captured when they do things practically instead of with CGI. I always prefer practical where it makes sense, when it's safe yeah. and effective. And Marvel's also the wrong one for me to use here because Marvel's a fantasy world that you're building and yeah. that's a different thing. An even better example is certain things like, I don't know, like a Jumanji, where Jumanji's super cool, but it's also a lot of CGI. Let's just talk about horror films. The horror films that we've particularly been drawn to are the ones who have used the practical effects. Let's look at The Invisible Man. They could have easily done the entire film with CGI, but they didn't. It's more effective when they don't. And if you go back to action movies, Die Hard. Yep. Die Hard hits harder because everything's so real. Yeah. And this is very much in the same vein. It's just that they amped it up so high. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. So fun fact here. Jan wanted Keanu to get a haircut to match the role of a tough, no-nonsense cop. He wanted him to get some kind of a buzz cut. The flat top. <laughs> When he did, executives were horrified because his hair is part of his marketing. Oh, sure. And they threatened to postpone the film so he could grow back the look. I mean, I understand that. Like, you think Keanu Reeves, you think Ted, Neo. Well, not Neo yet. You think Johnny Utah. Yeah, Johnny Utah, that's fair. Those are the two. And it's all about the hair drapes. It's all about the hair drapes. But... Until this. The buzz cut works. The buzz cut is iconic, and he pulls it off well. I don't know that he could do it now quite as well. I don't know. Talked about this in the John Wicks. My only problem with Keanu Reeves' hair now is that he is, visual, he is visibly aged. And what has become a problem for aging male actors is that they dye their hair. Their hair that is obviously turning gray. And they do it so stark that it becomes a joke. Like you see it on ladies too, but that's a whole different, but ladies tend to uh, get it softened. They don't soften it on older men. So it just becomes a problem. He now could look really great with a shaved head. Might happen for John Wick 4. He's on the run. I hope so. Cause his hair needs to get either longer 
or it needs to get cut way shorter because the, <laughs> the mid chin hair drapes don't work for his face. I'm sorry. Sorry, Keanu. You're gorgeous. <laughs> so despite all this, Jan had a giant logistical mess to figure out how to make this movie. Okay. For any highway sequence, if he had to reshoot, they had to return every vehicle to a starting mark because of the way they were shooting all of it. So it was it had to be like one and done. Well, a lot of it was yeah. supposed to be one and done, but that's the thing. He's a cinematographer. Yeah. He's not going to do one and done. No. So the budget of this movie ballooned because they would have to reset and, and set up all these sure. sequences for everything. That makes sense. However, despite being nearly completed in construction, the I-105 was not open to traffic. So they had all of the time they wanted to complete the freeway scenes without having to shut down an operating freeway. That's also less expensive. Yes. So all the cars that you see in the traffic sequences, all stunt cars, all props, yeah. everything was done on that empty highway. Awesome. That they actually reference in the fucking sure, movie. No, that's great. The crew, however, had to constantly be mobile because workers were still working on parts of the freeway. Nope. So if they had to work in a new location, the whole production had to move to get away from them. Then construction crews for the film had to build or take down structures every time to match the continuity of the last shot. I mean, yeah, that was just logistical nightmare, but this is just it's a part of the gig. Just for the gap jump, the bridge jump, mm -hmm. which took two and a half weeks of filming. Yeah. Lines and signage had to be painted or put in and removed multiple times a day mm -hmm. to get everything to line up correctly. I mean. And it pays off. It fucking pays off. Like, like there's, this is where, like, the, the film nerd in me, my heart is happy because now it just, just paint it out. Just paint it out with a computer. And if they had done that here, it probably would have worked fine and we probably wouldn't really notice it. But there's some magic to the fact that you're like, no, they they did this. They 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 did it. This would have been like one of the last times that they would have done that. Because at a certain point, it is more economical to just do the paint and the magic touch. And we'll talk about there is some there is some little ILM magic going on here. Oh, sure. There always is a but little. It's, but it's honestly four touches of flair. Everything was done practically to make everything line up. It makes my heart so happy. <laughs> and then, you know, it's just Jan getting as much coverage as he can to then edit the thing together. And that's just how you do it. Yeah, that's the job. Filming at the airport took three weeks and was made more difficult when testing on a plane's engine... <laughs> was happening at the hangars, which ruined the sound for all the takes. <laughs> Originally in the script, the bus was supposed to circle Dodger Stadium, not LAX, but the production did not get permission to film there. Hmm. For a large chunk of effects, they used miniatures. Okay. Which, as Jan de Bont said, quote, if you do it right, it looks so incredibly real, something you can never duplicate with computer effects. Yeah. He also really believed in including actors in the visual or stunt scenes, even if just for a brief moment. In particular, he notes the bus explosion at the beginning that's filmed over Keanu's shoulder, leading to the reflection of fire in the phone booth and the flames slightly out of focus, showing behind Dennis Hopper in his truck. Hmm. 
The whole thing being that, no, Keanu and Dennis Hopper are not directly involved in this explosion, but I want to put them as close to Mm -hmm. this stunt as I can because it will make the shot more real. As he put, quote, whatever happens, you get the sense that there's more in the shot than the effect, unquote. Yeah. So I appreciate that he he does not want to put an actor in harm's way. Yeah. But he has a specific philosophy of, if we are going to make an action movie, I need you to be directly engaged in the action of the shot. Uh, no, I think that's wonderful. And also that ties them to what's actually happening. It makes it... it It makes the stakes feel real from a visual perspective. Another reason why this movie works so Mm -hmm. well. It could be a lot of camera trickery and there's a lot in this movie, but the way he filmed it makes it feel like all these people are very, very really in this peril. DeBont stated that if you watch carefully, you can find tons of, quote, hidden cameras during the bus sequences because they typically only had one shot or maybe two at bus stunts, they hid cameras in cars, trucks, and other stationary spots to get coverage. So if you're watching around, you can see lenses sticking out of those windows. Uh. Uh, And despite being offered the chance to add deleted scenes after the success of the film to maybe release a director's cut, DeBont declined. The film was so rigidly storyboarded and planned out, there were no fully complete scenes that did not make the final cut. I like that. This is a no excess filming process that he did. I I mean, I appreciate that. I I like it when a, a director can say the film that made it on the screen is what I wanted and what it should be. Yeah. I, I appreciate directors who are like, we filmed a whole lot more. There's probably a bigger story I could tell, but I'm happy with what I made here. Yeah, like I, I I always like, you know, behind the scenes footage and I like, you know, bloopers are always fun. You know, if if giving me a director's cut, you know, completely changes the film, why? <laughs> like what why am I getting two different films then? Yeah. And most famously it's because the studio fucked them. Mm-hmm. Superman two, Richard Donner. Um, I mean. But there there are there are famous examples where it's like, yes, you want to see the director's cut because they fucked with it. Sure. But a lot of times it's just going back and messing with something that was already good. All right. Some who could have been better. Who could have been better? Because, you know, Jan de Bont's a newcomer. Sure. John McTiernan, director of Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October, and previously discussed Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. He was the first choice. Sure. That makes sense. I love John McTiernan. He makes great action movies. I don't think he would have been as audacious as Young was. I don't. I'm. I don't know. But it's. I, I understand looking at him to do it. Well, absolutely. I just don't. Jan de Bont was like, I'm gonna take every fucking risk. I don't think McTiernan would have done that. Hmm. I think he would have scaled it back, and I don't think it would feel as. It wouldn't have as much of the wow factor. But I don't know. When he turned it down, they then decided they wanted a newcomer. So because. Jan de Bont was McTiernan's cinematographer. Hmm. That's when they went, well, there's a logical choice. Also, who could have been better? Rennie Harlan of Cliffhanger. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, same group of guys. Fucking bonkers movie. <laughs> Cliffhanger is great. Cliffhanger's a great movie. It is a great movie. Rennie Harlan's a very cool director. Another madman. <laughs> Total madman. Oh, yeah. And finally... Quentin Tarantino. No. No. He did later call it one of his favorite movies of the past 30 years. Okay. Which I get. It's a it's a 
tight, taut action movie, Quentin loves that. Yes. Um, Death Proof is kind of the closest he got to something like this. I haven't seen that one. It's not a bad movie. Kurt Russell's fun. All right, let's talk about our cast. And we start, the man we've talked a lot about. He's John Wick. He's Neo. He's Johnny Utah. Ted Theodore Logan. It's Keanu Reeves playing Jack Traven. What do we think of Keanu Reeves in this movie? He's fabulous. He's a little green. I like him better as Johnny Utah than I like him as Jack. It takes a while for me to be okay with Jack. So the thing about Jack is when we know he's just a know-it-all asshole. Kind of. Like. But he's also aloof. It's, he's playing two things at the same time and it's weird. Well, the thing to him, it's just, a, this is just a job. He's not invested. Oh, I, okay. This is what we do. Oh, you shoot the hostage. That's what we do. Like he's just like, it's just a job. It's just a job to him. And then once he gets on the bus, this has become personal. And now he has to, in order to get all of these people to listen to him safely, he's got to give a shit about them as people. And he does, but he's got to talk to them. Like he has to change his mode. So that's when he becomes a different guy. Then we get to see not just work jack it's person who does this job jack yeah it's just look i love keanu but keanu does need a bit of script to help him out here and i don't i i don't think so i don't vibe with it as much as i do with the other things i've seen him in i just don't but i don't think you're supposed to i think when we meet him it just becomes like what lenny or you know he's the guy i mean It'd be interesting as somebody else in this role to see how we would approach the same character. But in the beginning, the person who's interesting is Jeff Daniels. It's not Keanu. Well, more than anything, it's Dennis Hopper. Well, yes. And we'll, and we'll get there. But after. between that, those, that conversation, it's Harry. It really just is to me, though. For every other role that I just talked about in that lead-in, I am 100% in on his character within the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. It takes me a long time before I finally feel like Jack really makes sense in this role. And I'm not saying Keanu's doing a bad job. I'm not sure where it's coming from. But this, to me, doesn't feel as strong as some of his other performances. Oh, I agree with that, that it doesn't that he's this isn't as strong as his other stuff. It just doesn't gel quite as well for me. But I don't think you're supposed to instantly go like, I love this guy. Let's root for him. No, I don't. And I don't I don't mean it that way. But it's like, I don't want to root for Johnny Utah. But within the first 10 minutes, I believe that this is Johnny Utah. I believe this is a guy who used to be a former quarterback and is now just like super deep into this whole thing. And Point Brink is kind of a dumber movie than this. Oh, it's definitely a dumber movie. It's but definitely a dumber movie. But I buy Johnny Utah more than I buy Jack. That's, and that's fine. And so But they're also completely different characters in completely different situations. I agree. I just I don't I don't think it works as well as some of his other stuff. I just don't. <laughs> you think I'm wrong though. Oh, I completely think you're wrong. <laughs> Uh, well, Jan DeMont cast Keanu after seeing him in Point Break. Sure. He said he felt Keanu as, quote, vulnerable on the screen. He's not threatening to men because he's not that bulky, and he looks great to women, unquote. I mean, those are good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with them. Keanu was not interested. He thought the original script was too much like Die Hard. 
I think that's fair. He thought it was just not quite original enough and he'd already done some other stuff. And Keanu has done this amazing job of not pegging himself down. He really tries not to do the same thing over and over. I mean, other than constantly playing people named John, (laughs) which let's be clear, a lot of white actors do that. Tony Danza is always Tony. (laughs) Like I'm not shitting on that, but no, he does try to find the the nuances of playing something. Yeah. Debon convinced him though, by stating he'd allow Keanu to do as many stunts as he was able to do for the production. (laughs) He understood it was not possible to do everything, but Jan credited Keanu's willingness to do the stunt work as the single biggest factor in the film's success. Agreed. It is clear because of him and because then of what we talked about of involving actors Mm -hmm. in the shots, trying to put actors into stunt sequences, that everybody's in the action. And Keanu did approximately 90% of his own stunts for this film. Which only led to more. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> all that shit under the bus a lot of that's Keanu love it amazing I love it I mean if you have not watched the training videos for John Wick where Keanu goes to the gun range it's so badass I mean at this point I need to see all the featurettes for speed I've seen the bus jump sequence on like YouTube before but they have a whole bunch of this shit of him doing these stunts I love it I'm... like him on the fucking little cable car yeah all that shit. I'm here for it. It's wild. Um, Keanu Reeves and Jeff Daniels trained with SWAT personnel to perfect those movements because they needed to be precise. And yes, he was, in fact, tethered to the bottom of the bus for certain parts of that scene. Love it. So obviously they were going to let him do a lot of that because sure. safety, but <laughs> safety first. Uh, Keanu also got super jacked for this. Film. Mm-hmm. He is a, a lot bulkier than usual. Yeah, he's usually buff, but still, like, his frame doesn't, like, he he doesn't become, like, boxer buff. Up until this, Johnny Utah is, like, the strongest he is, mm-hmm. and he's football player mm-hmm. muscly. He's not, like, hyper gym guy. A little more gym ratty. Yeah, he, he spent- 90s gym rat. He spent two months at Gold's Gym to get <laughs> fully into shape here, which cool. is the most 90s thing you could ever do. Sure. Uh, he also came up with his gum chewing as an ad lib. I like it because it is very different from his other characters. It's a character effect that turned into a symbol of his gut feelings. Mm. It was not in the original script, but after he started doing it and Jan DeBont noticed, they both agreed to keep it as part of how he filmed things. I like it. All right. Now, let's talk about who could have been better. Mm, no one, but okay. I'm going to go through these names. Some of them have some comments. A lot of them don't. And when I do it, you're going to recognize every name of every major popular actor Sweet. of the 1990s. How many have we already talked about? Um, A lot. <laughs> okay. Some of these are going to be obviously too old, but they could have been different iterations of the sure. script. And, or, and different iterations of the same character. We see this all the time. A character's supposed to be older. They go younger. They're supposed to be younger. And they go older. Yeah. Uh, let's start with a rumor of Jeff Bridges. No. <laughs> no matter. I don't care what the version of the script. He would have been a great Harry. Yes. No. But no. Wesley Snipes. Okay. Woody Harrelson. Okay. They were considered after the success of White Men Can't of Jump. Yes, they were. Uh, but instead, they appeared in a similar film the next year, Money Train. Oh, yeah. Richard Grieco. 
is that? He was Johnny Depp's cohort in 21 Jump Street. Oh, okay. And he was working really hard to avoid being typecast, so he turned down all action roles. That's fair. He has since stated that this is the one role that he regrets turning down. I think that's fair. Okay. Brace yourself Oh, now. God. Kevin Bacon. Of course. But, but do you think he could do it? Yes. Alec Baldwin. No. 90s Alec Baldwin, though. No. Stephen Baldwin. No. Michael Bean. I don't know who that is. Uh, Terminator oh. cohort guy. Jim Carrey. No, he would have been good Harry, though. Nicholas Cage. Yep. Bruce Campbell. I, I feel like, again, he's Harry. Harry. He's Harry or he's a guy on the bus. George Clooney. Oh, yes. Kevin Costner. Yeah. A little old, but <clears throat> but him and Sandy. I mean, it would have been good, but who cares? Tom Cruise, as we said. Of course. If this is a Paramount movie, this is a shoe-in for Tom. Yeah, he made the same movie next year. <laughs> Mission Impossible. <laughs> we'll get to it. We have thoughts. Johnny Depp. Yeah. Michael Douglas. Yeah. Richard Dreyfus. No. <laughs> Just no. No. I'm thinking. I think he could do it, but it would be a very different movie. Clint Eastwood. No. Harrison Ford. No. Richard Gere. Meh. Buzz cut him in the 90s could be no, interesting. He would not look good with a buzz cut. Please, no. Mel Gibson. Yeah. Tom Hanks. No. Ah! Say no. I would be very interested to see Tom Hanks' version of this. I, okay, I want to, because it doesn't exist, I want to see a Tom Hanks as a hard cop film. Yeah. He's never done one. So now, now that he's older, now he's, now he's Tom Hanks, everyone's favorite grandpa, he should do an old detective story. Yes. Please put him on True Detective. Let's do that. I mean, he did have Road to Perdition. That's a film noir, though. That's not the same thing. Michael Keaton. Yeah. Christopher Lambert. No. Dolph Lundgren. No. Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. Chuck Norris. <laughs> no. Brad Pitt. Yes. Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Kurt Russell. Yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Tom Selleck. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone. No. Patrick Swayze. God, yes. yes. <laughs> I like how we both said that. Swayze's so good. John Travolta. Yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes. And Bruce Willis. Of course. You can't put Bruce Willis in Die Hard on a bus. You can't do it. That was what everyone would literally call it. Let's go see Die Hard on a bus. I mean, they call that this, that anyways, but then it would just be directly that. Also, he chases down a school bus in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Whatever. Again, every action star of all time. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <sighs> out of all of those, Swayze, I think I like the most. Swayze, I think I would be interested in Johnny Depp in that one, just because of the 21 Jump Street. That's the only kind of cop he had played. So I think it would have been interesting to see him play this type of cop. Mm. Also, Tom Cruise. I mean, this is what Tom Cruise does. It'd be really good in this, though. He would. He would. Be, he this would, would be, be a good. very good movie. But essentially, he played this exact same character. In Mission Impossible. Let's, let's, because it doesn't come up in any of the trivia, but we have to mention. So we started watching this and it's been years since I've seen Speed. It was a, it was a standard film in our house because other than the F word, there's nothing inappropriate about it. There's nothing gory. Well, it, gory for the time for an action movie, it is very bloody. Sure. But me and my brother watch this all the fucking time. Yeah. 
And it didn't occur to me or David, he had never seen this. And we're watching this. We're like, huh, he's, he's being lowered down in the elevator shaft. They did the exact same thing in Mission Impossible. When did that come out? The next year. Okay. Then a few more things happen. We're like, yeah, this is a lot like Mission Impossible. Subway train. Subway train. This is a lot like Mission Impossible. Helicopter scenes. Helicopter. Like, they just stole all the action shit from this movie and put it into Mission Impossible, those fuckers. No, I don't think they did. No, I think it's a it's just a coincidence. I I feel like maybe they saw certain elements like, oh, that fits this action sequence we've got. We're going to do that. But it does. It's it's very intriguing because you're like, wait a minute. Like, because everyone, you know, the being dropped down from the ceiling, everyone credits with Mission Impossible. But the year before, they did the same thing here in this film. It's just not meant as a visual stunt gag. Well, and to be fair, in Mission Impossible, it's one of the biggest sequences of the movie. Sure. In this, it's a tie-in intro because the bus is such a big part of the movie. No, no, I agree. But it's still a very important thing. If he steps on the elevator, they're going to know he's there. It's going to blow it. So it is an important piece. I'm just saying it's it's it was not it and it wasn't advertised that no, way, no, no. which I think is the other big thing. Of course, because they realized this is fucking cool. Mission Impossible was like, we're going to use this for our entire campaign. Mm-hmm. But like in a different world, I'm like, this is a Tom Cruise movie, hands down. Oh yeah. Maybe that's what it is too, is that I keep Maybe that's why I have a hard time with Keanu is because every time I watch this, I am expecting Tom Cruise and I'm getting Keanu. Yeah. And that might be a little bit of the like, this is throwing me off so hard because this is a Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. (laughs) It's good, though. I mean, he's he's doing a great job. It just didn't hit quite as well for me as some of the other stuff we've watched him. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about our villain, Dennis Hopper playing Howard. Pain. We have talked about him before for Apocalypse Now and Cool Hand Luke. Oh man, I forgot he was in those. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> he just plays such a jackass. It's great. Jackass is his bread and butter. And then he can either be cocky and arrogant with that, or he can very quickly ratchet it to sinister. Oh yeah. And that's the lane that they put him in here. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it so it's very interesting here that Jan de Bont said that he didn't want a typical villain. He wanted Payne to be more of a regular cop that snapped, mm-hmm. which is obviously part of the film. And then he claimed that Dennis Hopper was the way he would not get a typical villain. Which I'm like, Dennis Hopper is one of the most mustache twirling actors that Hollywood's ever had. Mm-hmm. I mean, the man, all he does is chew scenery. That's that's what he did so well. Yes. <laughs> so it's a little weird to say that Dennis Hopper is the guy that's going to do that. But Dennis Hopper is also a very serious actor. Yes. So I think that's the that's the line is that he's a guy who you could put in to do the wildest, craziest shit, but he will also ground all of it. And that to me is just the the true success of putting Hopper here as our villain. Because mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, this guy's really fucking scary. But he can't just be scary the whole time. Mm. Like, you can't just have a sinister guy the whole time for this movie. Because then you're just playing into the diehard trope. Yeah. You don't need somebody suave. You need somebody who's very scary and then 
the biggest pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the problem is that, yes, he's incredibly threatening. But he's also just a dick on top of it. Yeah, I, I I, love how much they talk about him in regards to like the bomb systems. Like he's he's not stupid. Crazy, not stupid. You can't just unload the passengers. This is an express elevator, gentlemen. The only way in or out is through access panels. The bomb is also wired the hatch to trigger the bomb, which seats him in the crazy but not stupid section. They say it over and, and over. over. Yeah, because they're like, well, we got to do this. It's like, no, we have to anticipate this. Remember, he's crazy, not stupid. Uh-huh. Which is great. Like, that's a great villain. Oftentimes, villains can just be put into the, they're crazy or they're mystical demons. It's like, no, this is just someone who's lost it. And for a movie with a lot of copaganda, it is kind of nice that our bad guy is a cop. That's a fun little wrinkle in the way this movie is portrayed. Mm -hmm. And Dennis Hopper does a really good job of also incorporating that in. Other lesser actors would just choose scenery and not bring any of this nuance to it. He is going to be that wacky guy, but you also get the sense that he studied this character. Yeah. That's what makes him so great. Yeah. Dennis was the one who had the idea to grab Harry by the nose in the elevator. Mm. Um. Jan de Bont thought, well, that's just going to look silly. But then he tried it out by having somebody grabbing his nose and said, oh, that's incredibly painful. Yeah. And then he was like, yeah. And it's again, it's so perfect for the off kilterness of this guy. This guy knows pain points and this guy knows how to inflict maximum damage. Well, so they tell you they, they essentially tell you with all of that from the beginning who this guy is. He's a cop. Yeah. But they're telegraphing it so well. But you don't know it like until they put all those pieces together. It's great. I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. That makes me happy. Couple of who could have been betters. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, Jack doing fun. this. Also fun. And Robert De Niro. Ooh, also would have been fun. Mm -hmm. We might talk about a role later where he gets to play a little crazy like this. Okay. So keep your eye out for that. Mm. All right. Let's talk about probably what we are going to fawn over the most here. <sighs> it's Sandy B as Annie. Have we talked about her? I don't think we've ever talked about we've her. We've never talked about her. We have to give her credits. Yes, yes, we do. Before this, she was in Working Girl, the television series, mm -hmm. Love Potion number nine, oh. The Vanishing, and Demolition Man. Okay. After this, while you were sleeping, mm. The Net a Time to Kill, Speed 2, Cruise Control, Hope Floats, Practical Magic, Forces of Nature, 28 Days, Miscongeniality, Murder by Numbers, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, Two Weeks Notice, Crash, Miscongeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous, The Lake House, Infamous, Premonition, The Proposal, All About Steve, The Blind Side, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, The Heat, Gravity, Minions, Ocean's 8, Bird Box, The Unforgivable, The Lost City, and The... Still getting delayed and hopefully coming out very, very soon, Bullet Train. She's in so many good movies. Because she's amazing. And she's a producer on a shit ton of them. Oh. Well, yeah, because, you know, she's a bad bitch. She's amazing. Oh, Sandra. Sandra Bullet. She is so good at being vulnerable without being weak. Yes. Um, She doesn't do that thing where it's like, um, I'm just a helpless lady. No. She's just a lady who's in a shitty moment. She's also just so funny. Well, that's another thing she's just great at is that she's great at playing a woman who's also on the verge. 
<laughs> believably like she's not just manic and, and cr- like she's not playing a caricature of a person having a shitty moment no what's going on or like you know when she thought i ran over the baby oh my god <laughs> like like you totally believe her without it being absurd it's great i i just i always love her she's so good but it's amazing how you can put her into an action movie yes and it's Still Sandra Bullock. Oh, it's great. I mean, we just saw her in The Lost City. That's the only time we've really ever talked about her. And it's a very similar thing. She's a very, you know, smart together lady in a really fucked up situation. Yep. In this one, she's not quite as like put together. Sure. But she's incredibly smart and has her wits. Yes. And it's just like, I just have to not have a panic attack. And I have to stay alive. That's pretty much it here. And then do whatever this guy, oh, he's kind of hot guy, tells me to do. We're very pro Sandra Bullock. Who wouldn't be? Criminals. Executives were not convinced of Keanu's star clout <laughs> at the time. <laughs> we, we, I get it. I get it. It took a, It's one of those weird cases where he was definitely a movie star, but it took studios a long time to decide that he it wasn't until The Matrix yeah. that they said, oh, we're all in. Which is wild for an actor of his caliber. That's five years from now. From now, from, and he yeah. had been acting for like 15. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they wanted a much bigger name actress. I get it. To go alongside him. But Jan DeBont refused. Mm-hmm. And he forced Fox into Sandra Bullock just two weeks before filming began. Good. Once he got it down to Sandy, that was his choice. So I I completely agree because, yes, she was less known than he was at this point. Yeah. But not so much that I'm like, where did this chick come from? But because if they got somebody who was crazy hot shit, it would have overshadowed the story. Not Keanu, but the story. Well, she had also gotten done with a pretty big breaking role with Demolition. That was a big deal for her. Yeah. Because she was a slightly different side of comic relief for that movie. Mm-hmm. But like, again, Jan DeBont coming through here with recognizing, no, 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 no. I need the people that work for this fucking movie. You guys cannot screw me out of the right actors mm-hmm. just because you want bigger names. And, you know, it just the the studio here really almost screwed themselves over, not just with Sandy, but yeah. with all of this stuff by like you know, saying, well, we're not going to promote it. We're not going to put it here. And it's like all those producers have to be just like kicking themselves, mm. praising the Lord that they did not lose all the money they could have lost on this movie. Yep. <laughs> uh, Sandra Bullock actually learned to drive a bus for the film. Love it. She passed her test on the first try. Ooh. She did not do a lot of the bus like stunts. Sure. But she did drive the bus for filming so that they could do those sequences and she could be on screen for that. Again, I mean, that's just one of those like put the people in the car, even if they are not controlling the car. If you can see them in the car, moving the steering wheel, doing doing the things that you do when you drive a car, it just becomes so much realer. And finally, Sandra, who is an improv genius. Mm hmm. Ad-libbed, taking the gum off the chair to get away from Stevens. Oh, jeez. You know it took me three hours just to get here from the airport? I got so lost. 
L.A. is one large place. Of course, you live here, you probably don't notice. I'm such a yokel. Jeez. <laughs> there, I said it. <laughs> you know what? I, I got gum on my seat. Gum. Excuse me. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, there's gum on my seat. Gum on my seat. I need a reason to get away from you. <laughs> Do not want to talk to you anymore, weird dude. All right, who could have been better? No one. Rumored, Ellen DeGeneres. Ugh, no. It was a different time. I don't care. It would have been horrible. I saw Mr. Wrong. No. <laughs> she could have been the bus driver. How about Halle Berry? Meh. According to her, though, she had no regrets about not taking the role. Quote, it would not have done for me what it did for Sandra Bullock. I would have just been the black bus driver, unquote. That's a very good way to look at that decision because that's true she would have been the black rust driver instead she was a bond girl and despite the bonkersness of that movie she was a hot bond girl that did a lot for her too it did i really i like the way that she said it didn't do for me what it did for her absolutely bond did that i mean that's a really good way to look at it as it from a career choice too i like that all right let me give you some other names here all right Yes or no? Rosanna Arquette. No. Joan Cusack. No. Gina Davis. Yes. Melanie Griffith. No. Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm, no. Brooke Shields. Maybe. Madonna. No. Demi Moore. Yes. Gwyneth Paltrow. Also, maybe. No. Maybe. Not in 1994. Maybe. No. Michelle Pfeiffer. No. Sharon Stone. No. Leah Thompson. Yes. Deborah Winger. Yeah. <laughs> Give me Demi. I want Demi more here. If I don't have Sandra Bullock. Kind of like the idea of Brooke Shields. Mm, no. Not at this point. No, this is suddenly Susan time. Yeah. Brooke's got too much of the sweetness about her. No, that's why I think she would have been good in a different way. Mm, I like Demi better. Give me a little bit more of the grit. Huh. All right. Let's talk about Arpons because there's a lot of them. Oh, okay. Well, nobody else is in the movie like that much enough. I could argue a couple here, but let's be honest. It's these three that are the biggest part of this movie. Mm -hmm. All right, let's start with Joe Morton playing Captain McMahon. Yep. He is Rowan Pope from Scandal and a general all-around TV guy. Yeah, he's a that guy. He's great. Love him in this. Who could have been better? Craig T. Nelson. Oh, I get that. He had too many commitments to coach. Mm Mm-hmm. So when they needed a new actor, James Cameron recommended Joe Morton after casting him in T2 Judgment Day. Jeff Daniels playing Harry. Of course, we talked about him for Terms of Endearment. He was firmly convinced the movie would bomb, but instead completely reversed his opinion after seeing the final product. Mm. This is not a movie you would typically expect Jeff Daniels to be in. No. Not an action guy. No. But uh, he had to eat crow with that one. Yeah, he had to, he, he's, but to be fair, he is the guy in the chair. Yeah. Uh, who could have been better? Ed Harris. I get that. Now, in a previous iteration of the script, Ed, as Harry, would have been the bomber. Okay, yeah. Uh, that was in the original script. However, when Jeff Daniels came on, they didn't think he, as an actor, would have pulled off that twist convincingly. Mm-hmm. They thought Ed Harris was a better choice because he was more stone-faced. Mm. So they twisted it and got a new villain instead. Alan Ruck playing Steven. Ah, Alan Ruck. I I forget how many things Alan Ruck is just in. 
Cameron from Ferris Bueller, Rabbit from Twister, and now he's Connor Roy. <laughs> he's great as Connor Roy. I love that because he's such a s- good at smarmy. He's very good at smarmy. But in this, they instead made him all shucks. Oh, sh- oh darn. Oh, darn. Because especially when he's talking to Sandra Bullock, you think he's going to be a creeper. No, he's just a, a, a an aw shucks tourist, tourist guy. <laughs> Great. Whedon actually is responsible for this specifically. He changed the character from a slimy lawyer who gets his comeuppance, <laughs> which is, you know, par for the course with a movie like this. Sure. Instead, he made him a sympathetic Midwestern tourist. However, in the original script, Stephen was supposed to die. Whedon kept that, but it was ultimately decided to have him survive. Mm -hmm. Patrick Fischler playing friend of executive in the elevator. It's Jimmy Barrett from Mad Men and Phil on Lost. It's always fun when he shows up. Yep. Mark Krisky as reporter number two. He is the weatherman for KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It's always fun to know what the actual anchor jobs are the people who are on the news in these movies. Sure. Richard Schiff is the train driver in the subway scene yep. of West Wing fame. <laughs> this yep. is just before West Wing started. Mm-hmm. Sandy Martin playing the bartender. She is the grandma from Napoleon Dynamite and Max Mom on Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Veronica Cartwright playing the bag lady. She is the member of the Nostromo crew in Alien. And she was Betty Grissom in The Right Stuff. Mm-hmm. Mark Gordon, as a reporter waving outside the airport fence, he is one of the producers of the film. Mm. Michael Tamburo, as helicopter pilot number four, he has appeared in several iconic helicopter sequences as a pilot, including Die Hard, Roadhouse, and Apollo 13. And finally, Eddie Yasnick as SWAT Officer 2 on Flatbed Truck. Uh, yeah. He has been a longtime stunt double for Nicolas Cage, okay. including his stunt double for Con Air. Oh. All right, let's talk awards. Awards? <laughs> this was nominated for three Academy Awards and won two. Oh, okay. It won for Best Sound. Okay. And it won for Best Sound Effects Editing. All right, yeah, the two sound awards. It lost Best Editing. To Forrest Gump. Oh, okay. Which swept everything. Yeah. All right, let's talk trivia. Trivia. Keanu breaking the glass on the bus door was an accident, Ooh. but was left in the final cut of the film. And that glass is not super strong, y'all. Like, if you ram against it, you will break it. Yeah. Jack and Harry each received the Medal of Valor, LAPD's highest honor. Okay. Glenn Plummer, the Jaguar driver actually had his license taken away two days before his scene was scheduled to be filmed. Mm. He is also in the second one. God. Yep. I looked him up. I was like, why do I know this guy? He's been on a lot of TV. There were 12 different buses used for filming. Okay. Two were used for interior shots. Two were used to blow up. Two were used for action sequences and, quote, hitting things. One was used for the jump over the gap. Mm-hmm. One was used. One was rigged so it could ride on two wheels when they do the sharp right turn. One was raised up slightly for the mechanic cart sequence. And one had an extended platform for filming the driver in front, nicknamed the, quote, Mobile by the crew. The Mobile by the crew. All right. Each of the buses had two steering wheels, one for Sandra to be on screen and one for the stunt driver. 
More often than not, the drivers were on the roof of the bus driving. Mm. The bus was not actually fast enough to blow through cars after freeway exits. In fact, every time it hit a car, it had to stop every 25 feet to restart. The engine did not have that kind of power. Mm. So it's all DeBont's camera coverage movement and the speed of the bus in different shots mm-hmm. to achieve the effect of it being able to strongly like tank through a bunch of cars in traffic. Wow. An actual bus could do none of that. It's all camera tricks. That's really cool. The guy's really smart. Yeah. The bus jump was actually not in the original script of the film. Jan DeBont was driving around L.A. while he was getting ready to film, and he noticed that there was a section of the 105 missing. Okay. They hadn't finished that part yet, so he decided that he wanted to put it in his movie. I love that. Uh, Now, I will say that there was no gap. That there was a full bridge there. The road was complete when they did the stunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but the links they went to to get the shot to work with that are pretty amazing. They modified it so they could actually get it up to 70 miles per hour. Because hmm. a bus that size, you've got to Jerry. Like, it probably can't go more than 50 or 60. Mm. Then they put giant shock absorbers in so that the driver could keep moving. Uh, The driver's seat was actually moved back 15 feet to avoid having them ejected from the bus. Yeah. Because if it landed, they would be thrown. It would be so close and such a powerful force. As well, the seat itself was a shock absorber. It was suspended between the ceiling and the bus floor so that the stunt driver did not suffer from spinal compression from the landing of that giant bus. But here's the kicker. Oh, God. They had to film it twice. Of course they did. So they built a ramp for the jump and the bus accelerated from a mile back. When it hit the jump, it was going faster and higher than they anticipated. It was moving at 61 miles per hour and traveled 109 feet. Its front wheels went 20 feet off the ground. Mm. (laughs) So a bus is sailing through the air 20 feet off of a highway. It's a bit much. The cameras were not placed to factor that speed and height in. And the top front of the bus went out of frame at the maximum point of the jump. It also landed so smoothly that it was moving too fast and it destroyed multiple cameras that were angled along the highway to catch the jump. Jan de Bont had to call Panavision to beg them for any old cameras with an anamorphic lens. Oh. He didn't care what camera he got as long as it had the right lens. Yeah, because he knows what the fuck he's shooting. And he promised that they would be placed, quote, much further back this time, unquote. Wow. So, of course, with the bridge being there for safety, they used digital to erase the gap in the bridge that's fair and just for a little extra touch Jan de Bont had them adding a few birds flying through the gap just so that you could get a sense of the scale uh, i'm into it that's how you use cgi yeah that's how you do it fix some continuity add a little ambiance love it i'm into it the shot where the bus barrels into LAX while a plane is taking off behind them took 50 plus takes to get right with the timing because he's a cinematographer. 
The elevator shaft sequence was filmed on a five-story set with four fully functioning elevators. Because, of course, Mm -hmm. they are going to make this movie. They're going to do it balls to the wall. I'm into it. DeBont actually used his own experience being stuck in an elevator as inspiration for this film when he was filming Die Hard at the Fox Plaza. At one point while filming, they were stuck hanging on the 40th floor and they had to be rescued via the rooftop hatch by the fire department. Oh, it's pretty cool, though. It's, it's that thing of like, he clearly is willing to do a similar amount of stunt work to get a shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's weird. Of all the stunt scenes, Tracy Bunting, a stunt coordinator, said the stroller full of can scene was one of the most challenging in her entire stunt career. Don't know why, but that shot in particular was difficult to get right. The plane used for the explosion that the bus runs into mm-hmm. <laughs> cost $80,000. Of course it did. Since Jan de Bont considered the bus a lead character of its own mm-hmm. and cast it accordingly, he also decided on the scene, quote, the bus needed an ending too, unquote. <laughs> I love it. Not in the script, but he's like, well, the bus is just as much a character as any of the rest of them. <laughs> the producers paid the owner of Payne's house $5,000 to blow it up, and then they rebuilt that house after filming. <laughs> <laughs> love it. The explosion was not allowed at LAX for fear of frightening passengers, so they instead filmed that in the desert in Mojave. Mm. And the plane is also painted with the logo, quote, Pacific Courier Freight, unquote. The same logo on the truck used by the terrorists in Die Hard. Love it. When the subway car comes to a stop right in front of showing 2001 at Grauman's, it is DeBont's homage to Kubrick, one of his favorite directors. Aw, that's cool. The subway car is actually a modified bus that was constructed and designed to look like a subway car laying on its side. On the side of the bus is a picture of an ocean wave. That picture is part of a campaign for American oceans called Heal the Bay, which was photographed by Jan de Bont. That's cool. <laughs> just little shit. I mean, he's in and around LA, so it it's just one of these in-references that they threw in there. Mm-hmm. Harry's desk has a sign that says, go ahead, make my day, just like Dirty Harry. I'm into that. The film was released just one week before O.J. Simpson's infamous Bronco chase across Los Angeles. Yeah, that was definitely like when they have that one shot where it's like, man, that 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 hadn't happened yet when they did this. Well, and viewers seeing the film noticed it closely resembled that chase down to the fact that Jack is driving a 1968 Ford Bronco. (laughs) But also with the aerial shots of LA freeways, the media coverage, it's very eerie Mm -hmm. because it's a near shot for shot feel. (laughs) But they did film it before the the freeway chase happened. Mm -hmm. The watch Jack wears throughout the film, a Casio G-Shock DW5600C was discontinued when filming started. But demand was so high after the film's success, they started to make the watches again. And finally, after the film was shown, a schoolboy saved the lives of a bunch of fellow kids after a driver had a heart attack. The kid climbed on the driver's lap, jumped on the brake, and pulled the bus over. When asked why he did it, he simply said he'd seen, quote, that bus movie, unquote. Aww. 
<laughs> I mean, definitely it's not child appropriate, but you know, it knew, taught him what to do in the emergency and that's okay. And that leads us to rating. Ratings? For every film, we have a specific rating system. For this one, is it going to be buses? It's buses. It's got to be flying buses. Yeah, it'll be flying buses. Man, I'm giving it five flying buses. Oh, I don't know that I can go there. I, when we rewatched it, it was just as enjoyable when I was watching it in my youth. And, like, I mean, it's been 20 years. I, and I was like, this movie holds up. It's great. Like, other than some of the technology, I love it. I'm, I'm into it. It's still funny. I'm going with a four. Right. It's a very solid movie that I really enjoyed. But I think, like, it is that because it's the sum of its parts working together, at certain points, you're taken out of it because certain parts aren't working as well together mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so over the top at times that you're like yawn yo my dude rein it in just a little yeah we didn't have to go so hardcore like firing off all of these explosions along the side of the bus chase here <laughs> it, it just it gets to be a bit much every now and then yeah but it's so entertaining <laughs> that you cannot get around that Ah, it's it's a four. It's an incredibly solid movie, and it still holds up really well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, next time we're going to go from a very dumb action movie to an incredibly smart action movie because mm. we are going to talk about Michael Mann's magnum opus, Heat. Mm, okay, it's a movie I've meant to see for so long. Yeah, partially because of the actors. Yeah, it's one of those ones that like people talk about a lot, and I just I'm like, oh, I've seen that one. It's a movie that everybody who's seen it is like, oh my god, you have to see this movie, mm-hmm. and everybody who hasn't seen it is like, wait, what? What is this movie? <laughs> like, you've either heard of it and love it, or you've never heard of it before. Yeah. So I'm I'm interested to see what happens. Um, I'm into it. So until next time, have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.